In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 through 23. Jonathan and his armor-bearer show great faith and courage by sneaking out of the Israelite camp and attacking the Philistine outpost. They trust God to help them and give them a sign to go up, which results in the Philistines' panic, and they start to kill each other. Saul and his men join the battle, and the Philistines flee in confusion. Good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Tuesday, May 16th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scripture through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. We give thanks to God for the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions help support Thy Strong Word. LHF is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages. Visit them online at lhfmissions.org to learn more about their translating and publishing work. Well, this morning, please join me in welcoming my guest to help us explore 1 Samuel 14, at least the first 23 verses. It's the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Shank, and welcome back to the program. Good morning. God's blessings to you. It's it's always an honor uh, to be on and an honor to turn to God's Word and, and explore it and, and to see um, to see His guiding, His His direction, and um, to see His hand in the lives uh, of the saints that uh, are before us. Absolutely, and God's going to have his hand in the victory that we read about today with Jonathan and the Philistines, and of course Saul's going to join in, and a bunch of Israelites who are in hiding are going to join in. Lots of good stuff to talk about today. Before we dig into the text, though, why don't we start off our time together in prayer, and I invite you to lead us in that prayer. Yes, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, you are Lord of heaven and earth. We pray that by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit, you would cause us to trust in you so fully and completely that we would, with full joy and confidently say, Thy will be done, and so be filled with your peace all our days. For you live with your Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. In the previous chapter, the Philistines um, were defeated by Saul, at least, you know, in one battle. And it says that the that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. So, you know, as Israel continues to battle against its enemy, the Philistines are starting to lose a little bit. And so then we have Saul's unlawful sacrifice, but that all brings us to today. Uh, why don't you catch the folks up on anything you think is important for them to know before we read any of our text this morning, because things are moving quick on the ground here in Israel. Yes, as we uh, turn to chapter 14, um, but maybe even a greater look at, at the whole of uh, of Saul and uh, and of Jonathan and of the people and, and of our lives too, um, there is this uh, great uh, dichotomy between uh, trusting in God and trusting in self, uh, trusting in His might and His power, or or the might of our own numbers, our own strength, um, seeking Him and His honor, or to seek our own glory, uh, to follow Him, or to be led by our own 
um, wisdom and our own guiding and our own words. So um, there, there are these things that will continue to come up for uh, Saul, as we saw that he took his own, uh, his own guiding, his own direction. He thought he had to do what needed to be done, uh, and that led him to, uh, to the unlawful sacrifice. But that's not a one-time action for, for Saul. Um, he will continue to be led by his own sense of pride and jealousy. And that leads us into this chapter, and uh, and it leads us to see um, uh, a juxtaposition between him and his son uh, Jonathan, who is honorable and and noble, and a man uh, that that becomes a bit of a, a, a type for for Christ Himself, and he who humbly submits himself uh, to will to the will of his of his heavenly father, his good and gracious will. Um, and we have one who has submits himself to the will of his, his father, uh, Jonathan to Saul. Um, but, uh, that there is a, um, a distinction then that should be made, uh, between Saul and our heavenly father, because our heavenly father works, uh, for our salvation where Saul, uh, the father of Jonathan works for his own personal glory. Um, and you can see that going forward in the life of Saul and his jealousy and how that's going to play out. But um, a precursor to all that as we lead into our chapter. Yeah, I mean, and Saul, you know, he shows himself to be a fearful, a, a very uh, trepidatious kind of leader. He's very concerned with images and appearances and himself as well. Jonathan, now Jonathan's going to befriend David as we're going to see later, but but Jonathan is such an upright guy. I mean, if the if the kingship had not already been given to David, uh, Jonathan probably would have made a pretty good king of Israel, but of course that wasn't God's plan. So we see uh, all the time that Jonathan's coming out, showing his bravery, showing himself to be essentially, uh, you know, the opposite of his father, who his father is not, because Jonathan is going to honor God's choosing of David. He's going to um, honor God himself, whereas Saul often fails to do that. Yeah, and it, in the midst of it, we, we can definitely say it's it's not God's plan, but God was willing. I mean, it, when, um, when Saul or Samuel talks to Saul, and say and and tells him of of the different times of his disobedience and how how God was willing willing to establish him and um, it, it it was it was uh, not God's fault for and I'm not I'm not saying you're saying this but it's good to keep in mind but um, that it's not God's fault for Saul's disobedience God was faithful and Saul wasn't uh, was not faithful. God was gracious and merciful, but Saul reject, rejected um, that mercy and that offering of, of grace uh, that he had for his people and that he would have worked through Saul. Um, and yes, uh, um, uh, it definitely appears that uh, Jonathan would have been a wonderful, faithful son. Um, and we'll just have to wait. <laughs> the people will just have to wait uh, for the ultimate faithful son uh, that God will provide in the midst of their unfaithfulness uh, of uh, the unfaithful kings. 
uh, God will establish a king forever, forevermore, for all eternity, uh, that will remain faithful, uh, that will see his kingship, uh, one of service to the people and one of sacrifice. And um, of course, that's that's Jesus. You're, of course, absolutely right. You know, sometimes it's hard not to look forward. And, you know, if you already know how things turn out to say, you know, because we know we know that the the dynasty that Saul wants is not going to come to pass because of a disobedience. So sometimes it's often hard to keep all that stuff straight. But absolutely, you're, you're right. You know, Saul really gives that up due to his lack of faith and trust in God. And um, and we're going to see time and again where. Jonathan often shows that trust that his father doesn't. Well, anything else you want to lay out there before we read, say the first five verses to get us started? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think we're ready ready to go. Um, well, may, maybe just one one other thing, which is um, if we were to to be there too, I think um, the sense of fear, uh, uh, fear of the opposition, the Philistines are. Um, when it looks uh, outwardly, militarily, amazingly powerful, <laughs> beyond beyond what any normal human being who is just using their own logic and reason um, could be able to say, well, we're going to be able to oppose this um, by the, the strength of our own might. And um, it's going to take faith, uh, faith. Um, Faith in God, faith in His promises, faith in that it's it's going to be by God's doing. So when we look at Saul and and see his hesitancy or see his um, his uh, numbering and and all the things that he does, um, it's very much like any earthly king. But Saul was not supposed to be like any earthly king. He was supposed to turn the people constantly like a like a father, like we as fathers are supposed to do, in the face of things that are beyond us, the struggle of the family, the struggle of our world, and the the might of unbelief and the darkness of unbelief, we are supposed to point our family time and time again to the faithfulness of God and our trust in Him. Uh, Here, uh, Saul's not doing it. Um, but um, but Jonathan is, uh, is is dripping in faithfulness. Well, you talked about the mismatch militarily too, and we we were told in the last section that you know the 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 Philistines were in such control that there were no blacksmiths throughout Israel, so they couldn't make weapons. And even though Saul and Jonathan, you know, some of them had weapons, most of the people still even had to go and pay their Philistine, uh, I guess, rulers or occupiers to have their their farming implements sharpened and repaired. So people were definitely, or I should say the Israelite people, were definitely not prepared to really go at and battle the Philistines on any grand scale. They, they had definitely taken control and occupied the area, which is why the covert mission that happens in today's chapter, I think, is so interesting. Let's begin Chapter 14 with verse 1, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. 
the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of Yahweh in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sinah. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. All right, just pausing right there. So we have Jonathan, and we have the young man who carried his armor. I've always thought about that in my head, trying to visualize, I guess, this guy's only job was to carry the armor of, of uh, this, this, I guess, the king, or in this case, the prince. Uh, until he needs it, just very much a servant. Uh, but he doesn't tell Dad. He doesn't tell Saul that he's going to go do this. Um, why is that? Take us through what's going on and <laughs> and explain. You know why why so secret? What what might happen if he were to tell Saul? Yeah, I mean, I guess Saul could have uh, told him no. Uh, he could have uh, sought. Uh, a different answer. He could have uh, told the the you know this uh, this is his son after all, and he's going out. What outwardly looks amazingly foolish, right? So he himself, with one other person, is going to um, face a garrison uh, of of people. So it's it seems um, it seems like not the wisest action. Um, but you can see that the people, uh, the people are in great fear, and it's causing all the people to hide in cracks and crevices, and even in um, uh, to, in caves and in, in graves. Or it's it gives that an impression. Um, so uh, this is a, a time for for Jonathan. It seems to be a, a time of action. They they need to do something. And so he's kind of taking it on his own um, to 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 do something, and that it's almost like an action against the king because the king should be telling him, you know, the king should be in charge and telling him what to do and what not to do. Um, when the people in an army take it upon themselves to make up their own plans and act on it, that's not a well-fit army. Um, you wouldn't want your army to be uh, making up their own attack plans and, and just acting on, the, on their own. That's, that's not, that's not good um, for the, the general person. They don't know. They don't know the fullness of the plan. They don't know the fullness of, uh, they just know their orders. And if their orders are to stay, they should stay. Uh, if their order is to go, they must, must go. Um, but Jonathan is, taking it on himself um but when he does he he does it we'll see it it's a bit more humbly than it looks like at the beginning here it looks uh brash it looks um uh maybe to his own glory but that's that's not it at all not at first glance yeah it's like um <laughs> jonathan and the person he takes with him is his own little seal team you know going in to execute <laughs> surgically a, a plan to you know, I don't know, try to turn the, the tides of the war. But, I mean, th that does kind of happen, but you said, we see some humble uh, coming through. Um, 
we we get this description of where Saul is, and I, and I suppose it just helps. I think there's some confusion a little bit in the text between Gibeah and Geba. These are two different places, and the Greek says one thing, the Hebrew says another thing, and sometimes it's you know it's difficult to discern like which might have been the original. I actually don't think it's that consequential, but it is interesting to know that sometimes even the scribes as they're passing down these things have trouble with geography, which makes me feel a little better. But but we have we have a list of all these people, including it looks like someone who would have been the high priest, um, which is a descendant of Eli, which is kind of interesting, right? Because um, I mean, not not a descendant of Eli, but but connected to Eli. Um, I just think that's kind of interesting, and I wonder why we're told that. I guess it has something to do with um, Saul and having the perhaps the ark with him or the priest with him. We know we know what happened earlier, but can you give us any insight into why we're given that information? Well, I mean, is this a? I mean, is it a tipping of the hand of Eli and the unfaithfulness of his sons? Um, I mean, obviously, it, you know, we've got uh, the. Uh, Later on, where we're we're going to be um, checking uh, checking in to see what 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 is the will of God, and to to have the um, the the testing out of who has disobeyed uh, the orders uh, later in the chapter, and um, all that will come out come out there um, with uh, the vow that was taken and and Jonathan not not knowing. So that's kind of a precursor of, uh, or a foreshadowing of, of what will happen, you know? Um, and, uh, so, you know, you gotta keep, keep listening, uh, for that's that. Right. Um, but I think too, you know, we, we have Eli's sons and, um, and their, uh, their disobedience. Um, so, you know, we have a, a son who is, kind of being disobedient but disobedient to a king who is not being obedient to to the right. lord it's kind of a, a kind of a struggling position that Jonathan continues to be in like his desire is to be faithful to god but he is also desiring and we'll we'll see it later that he desires to be faithful to his father as well and um so he doesn't take up arms against his own father you know god forbid right um but his father is just amazingly uh, foolish in the things that he does and the things that he says um, and the actions. Um, so it's, uh, we, you know, we kind of have these positions being taken, you know, the unfaithfulness of the sons of Eli in position against uh, Jonathan, who is kind of looking outwardly like he's being unfaithful, though he is being amazingly faithful both both to God and to his father who is not living up to his office that he has been placed into. So I, I think that there is um, kind of two things being placed out there. One of that position and then two, a little foreshadowing of how uh, Saul will find out about the actions of his son and the consequences that he will uh, kind of declare against Jonathan. So we, uh, we can kind of continue to have this over the head of Jonathan. You know, is Jonathan going to survive this? Or is he going to be like the unfaithful sons? Is he going to survive this? Is he going to survive this attack? 
um, and that's going to come out, right? Uh, and then is he going to survive his own father? <laughs> um, uh, and is he going to survive his his own actions um, that have consequences, though he didn't know what he was doing uh, when he did it? Right, absolutely. And we're going to see how he reacts differently as we read into the text. I'm going to read just a few more verses here to get us um, into what happens next. Here we go, starting with verse 6, and we'll be going through verse 11. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that Yahweh will work for us, for nothing can hinder Yahweh from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for Yahweh has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign for us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And I'm going to pause there <laughs> before we find out exactly what the, they told uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Um, Jonathan is going to end up having kind of a reputation for, uh, in this case, it's a sign for God. Later on, we're going to, or sign from God, he's asking for. Later on, we're going to hear his what I think is a convoluted plan to warn David about Saul's anger with him. Uh, you know, why, why all this? I mean, I know he's calling upon the Lord, but it, I guess if we were to do these types of things today, we would call it putting the Lord to the test. You know, Jonathan says, you know, okay, if they say this, then I know that God's with us. And if they say that, I know that God's not with us. Now, on the one hand, believing that God's with you and that will and He will prevail is faith, but how is this not putting the Lord to the test? Yeah, I guess um, I would have to go back and draw us back to what God has already said, right? Um, that God has already said that He would be with them. That God had already said to Joshua that they were supposed to go into the land and trust him and put their faith in him and he would um, cast the people out. And they were supposed to go forward in that trust. And obviously, as they went forward, they did not do what they were supposed to do in faithfulness and expel the people from the land. And now um, the people here, specifically Jonathan, was left to deal with uh, what they their lack of faithfulness. Uh, their lack of trust. So when, because um, I, I think that the, the text is leading us to the fact that Jonathan is being faithful, uh, that he is not uh, seeking like, you know, uh, you know, a fortune teller or witchcraft or or just putting the Lord to the test or or whatever, kind of um, putting the, the finger to the wind and this is the direction of God's will. He'll bless me and I'll be rich and famous or something like that. You know, it's not, I don't see it that way because I, I think he's going back, uh, back to the promises of the Lord, right? That that we should act, we should uh, be uh, trusting, uh, because you see it only, uh, not only because we see it clearly 
in the statement that he makes, you know, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uh, uncircumcised. And he says, um, uh, the Lord will work uh, for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or uh, by few. That it, he's saying that God is the one who's going to, if God's going to act, he will act, right? If God's going to give victory, he's going to give victory whether by the whole army of Israel or just by a few of us, like the two of us, that it's going to be God's action. Uh, so we're going to submit ourselves to God's will and let's go. Um, and uh, and that's why I, I think that, uh, you know, when he says, uh, you know, we'll go up if he says this or we'll, we won't go if he says that, because he continues to say that this is going to be the Lord's doing. And it's not, I don't, I don't think, that we should overread, you know, read ourselves into the text in the sense that, you know, when we do a business deal, you know, Lord, uh, should I do this deal? Uh, make it be a sunny day or a cloudy day or, you know, give me the, re remember, we're dealing with the people of Israel who already had the promise that God would be there with them, unlike the rest of the world, unlike how we would act with every other nation, every other people. He had taken them to be his people and made them into a people and he had um, freed them from a slavery and he had he had uh, betrothed himself to them he would be as a husband to them and he would protect them guide them and deliver them and so it, they're just going back to the God had already promised us um, so I, I think I think that's something we have to keep in mind here uh, which is really unique. Uh, to even in our lives as God's people. I think that's a very good point, and I couldn't agree more. So we're here now. Jonathan asks for a sign from God. If the Philistines they approach say, wait until we come to you, Yahweh is not with them. They won't prevail. But if these Philistines say, come up to us, then Jonathan knows that Yahweh will conquer the Philistines that day by their hands. Well, the Philistines have seen them. Which of these two things do they say? Well, we'll find out right after this break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Shank and I will keep on going through 1 Samuel 14. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Folks, thanks for joining us this morning. I pray that God blesses you through our study of 1 Samuel. 
If you know someone who might like the show, be sure to let them know that they can tune in over the air in St. Louis on AM850, listen live or on demand at KFUO.org, or they or you can listen as a podcast or on KFUO's own mobile app. And here's another great way to tune in. I've been using this lately. If you have a smart speaker, just ask it. Tune into KFUO Radio. As always, I'm available to answer your questions if you have feedback. So you can write me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Just drop by, say hello. Thanks for being loyal listeners. Now back to the Bible. Now, Pastor Shank, before we went to our break, we had Jonathan and his armor bearer. They're going in. They've, they've come up with this plan. And if I understood you correctly, it's not that he's putting the Lord to the test because the Lord has already said he'll be with them. So he's putting his life into the, of the Lord. And this sign, so to speak, really is just going to let him know whether he'll be whether he'll be victorious that day by God's hand. But really, at the point at which they're seen, the, their deal is done. It's not as though they could retreat, I would assume. I guess they could try, but it, he's already put his faith, hope, and trust simply by covertly going into the garrison and letting themselves be seen. Isn't that right? Yeah, and he, it's, it seems like he's got such um, such a faith that um, he's going to say, he's almost saying, that will be done. If... If the Lord uh, is calling for victory, it is the Lord's victory. If the Lord is calling for defeat, um, I am the Lord's. Um, so it's it's like a full, complete submission to the Lord, but with the the overwhelming sense that the that the Lord is faithful to His promises. Like the Lord has promised that He will give us victory. You know that He has already declared that these people should be cast out. So. Um, you know, it's he's his trust is so much in the Lord that it it doesn't matter if we we've got a lot of army with us. He's like the anti Gideon. Um, he already believes that the Lord um, is with him. Uh, he doesn't need a fleece or he doesn't need a huge army. Um, it's it's just us. Let's go. Well, by showing themselves to them, they're eliminating any sort of element of surprise. <laughs> but let's see what happens. Uh, we're going to go back a verse. We're going to start with 11 again and head through, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 or so. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for Yahweh has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike with, with which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within as it were a half furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp and the field and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked. And it became a very great panic. Well, earlier we heard uh, Jonathan mocking the uh, the Philistines by describing them as the uncircumcised people. And here we hear the Philistines mocking the Israelites. They only see two of them, but they, they're making fun of them by saying, oh, look, they're coming out of the holes. You know, they were all hiding. They're all scared. And look, they're finally popping out of their holes. 
And I guess that's a taunt, right? Come up to us. We're going to show you something. Take us through this because it, it has an unexpected um, result. You know, you're, you're talking about Jonathan being confident that the Lord will uh, will prevail over the Philistines by their hand. But the way in which it happens, I don't think anybody sees coming. Yeah, so I, I, would, uh, I would take, you know, it is a bit of a taunt, but the, I think what Jonathan um, is reminding his, uh, his companion here, his armor bearer, when he says, let us, let us go up uh, against these uncircumcised, um, he's reminding them that they are not God's people. We, we are the circumcised. God has put his promise upon us. God has marked us as his own. He has not marked them. So then then that becomes a, a, a rallying cry of faithfulness to God, that God is the faithful one. He has called us to be his own, and he has marked us as his own. They they go, and as they're coming through the rocks, uh, they're coming out of the rocks, and they're saying, you know, look at the these uh, the the Israelites, the Hebrews coming up um, out of the out of the rocks. He's, I, I think that's that is even a you know we take that as kind of a matter of fact, but it's even um, kind of there saying that they're like kind of like the animal. Look at these animals coming up out of the rocks, right? Like uh, gophers or or something like they're these little uh, vermin, right? Uh, and then they 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 tell them to to come up. Uh, they hail them. They're calling for for Jonathan and his arbor to come up. And we will show you a thing like um, we have something for, you know, it's he, he they're taught you come on up here and we're going to teach you a lesson. Right. And so they're, they're, they're asking for the, you know, we're, they're really asking for the fight. Um, and that's, that's the taunt. You, you little uh, kind of vermin coming up out of the ground, look at you. And that's, that's all, you know, as Jonathan in his faithfulness, he's almost seeing that an attack against them and who they are as an attack against their identity. These uncircumcised, remember them, and who are we? We are the circumcised. And when they kind of sees them as just animal-like, this attack against his God. And so when, um, and you see this with the Philistines, when the Philistines attack the honor of God, now it's God who must act, and God does act. Uh, so they climb up and they attack, um, and and uh, Jonathan is he's he's almost uh, uh, you know a, a judge like uh, you know the the might of uh, Samson uh, overcomes. Uh, him and so he can strike down these twenty, but he kind of like gives them the first blow that uh, knocks them out or knocks them down, and his armor bearer comes behind and uh, and finishes them off. Um, but this uh, whirling dervish of a of of Jonathan just overwhelms these, and they're like fleeing from him. That kind of gives a a distance that they uh, they attack, and it it just throws everything in a panic, you know, like, like, um, I, again, I keep, keep thinking back to the judges, like, like, um, like Gideon, you know, they didn't even attack, but, uh, here Jonathan does attack, but it's one person and it makes, 
it makes the Philistines like think that the, the, even the world, you know, the, there is now an earthquake out after them. Even the earth has spewed out enemies to devour them. And so they're running away in a great panic. Well, even just some simply the fact that there are two Israelites who kill about 20 Philistines, you know, it's, it's a, um, I guess it's almost like a uh, um, David and Goliath moment. You know, of course, we haven't gotten there yet. But here we have two two guys, just two little, and there's no depiction that these guys are mighty in stature. In fact, one is a servant. That doesn't mean he's not a large guy. But still, the, these two Israelites, they demonstrate that certainly God's blessing is with them. And, and we see this time and again, too, from the surrounding nations. They look at the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, they don't have a problem acknowledging that Yahweh is a God from their perspective. And so they often will say things like, you know, their, their God actually is pretty powerful. He actually means something. Yeah, This Yahweh guy, he's with them. And, and sometimes I think they're embarrassed by their own gods. Well, I think that's, as you said, in play here too. You know, we have on the one hand, David and his armor bearer recognizing that Yahweh has given them into the hand of Israel. But we forget that the, the the surrounding nations believe in their God too. You know, they just think he's one of many, but he's awful, he's awfully powerful. And um, so these two guys come in and they start slaughtering 20 people. And of course the panic happens. And, and, uh, and it says, even the Raiders trembled, the earth quaked, it became a very great panic. Um, is the earthquake uh, a description of what it sounds like for everybody to be running in a panic in every different direction? That's how I've always read it. Or do you see it as a supernatural earthquaking? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I I would agree with you that it seems like an earthquake because of the the great panic. Though the great panic is a supernatural reality, right? Right. That right. Uh, that Jonathan is is so. Um, you know the holy it's like the holy spirit again in the in the vein of the judges um you keep hearing that with the judges that the holy spirit has come upon them spirit has come upon them and they do um they do what god has called them to do they judge uh the foreign uh nations and uh win the victory that only the lord could have won um and this is a clear from from jonathan that this is this is the lord's doing and so when they flee away it is that earthquake sound uh, though, uh, as it grows, even that becomes a judgment against the people that the more they panic, the more that they will panic, the more they run, the more that they will run, right? That it just leads to more and more, you know, you can kind of see it in a crowded, you know, that's why you don't, you know, don't yell fire in a, in a crowded place that the more there is a panic, the more, uh, destruction and, uh, fear sets in on people and they do things that that a person with calm and uh and un, and uh, uh you know clear-mindedness wouldn't do right you know trampling on uh women and children right to, to save themselves well here they're just trampling on themselves to run but if they had a, a clear set <clears throat> clear mindset they could see <clears throat> excuse me that this is this is only two people, right? Um, but uh, but the two people are being uh, kind of you know the trampling and the running away has blinded them to what's 
really happening here. And I, th I think that's really a, a quite quite something. You know, it's quite quite the faithful moment, right? That that in the struggle, we too could be tempted to just run, panic, flee, flee from our enemy. And, and yet God always calls us in the time of trouble to be still, to listen to him, you know, to be quiet, go back to his word, seek him, seek him in prayer um, and, and to trust. And, and he is immovable. So let us, uh, you know, build our house on the rock. Let us, you know, not not be like the rest of the world that is tossed to and fro by by every everything that comes our way, but uh, to remain steadfast. So I think there is a good lesson in here for us as God's people, you know, in the midst of panic, boy, are we, are, we can be panic stricken in unbelief and, and sinful thoughts. Um, but the call then would be to remain uh, steadfast on the word of God. Well, let's move on because we see that uh, Saul will join the battle, King Saul, as it as it begins to be noticed by others outside the camp. So verse 16, it says, And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. I want to pause there because there's a couple things I don't want to get lost in the narrative of the battle. And, and that is, of course, Saul sees, they count, they find out, okay, we have Jonathan and his armor bearer not there. They must be doing something. What I want to bring our attention to is the Ark of God. Um, I don't know if you uh, found the, the, the uh, variants here, but the, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Hebrew, we have... Uh, the Ark of God, but in the Septuagint, it is the ephod of God because the ephod was mentioned earlier back in verse 3. Um, I guess it doesn't matter in the end, but the ephod, most scholars believe, is what's being talked about here, not necessarily the the Ark. Do you have any comments on that at all? Well, I did. You know, you just said that. And I just uh, looked at that footnote. It it does seem to make you know, I the first reading just kind of took it as it as it was the ark of God, and that I mean that's often too what we hear in different times that the people of Israel almost saw the ark of God as like a good luck charm, or that uh, this right. would be uh, all these things. But it does make you know, and seeing the footnote and reading that, it does make way more sense that it is the ephod. Um, because then that's how they would seek out God's will in things. Um, um, so, and then you'll be more clear uh, coming forward how Saul will seek it out using 
these uh these tools and means so that's a that is yeah that kind of yeah. changes how i was reading that that section well that's, i found it interesting really too yeah i mean in the in the arc itself now i'm i'm not saying one way or the other um because sometimes the the details could get a little a little ragged especially when you're jumping all over like i tend to do for the show on this on this text but um i don't i'm not sure the the arc is actually with israel though um, I, I thought it was still with the Philistines, but it very well could have been. Well, they gave it back. They gave it back because mm -hmm. they were up because of what was happening. So I guess it is with them. But it does make sense that the um, the Urim and Thummim, um, however you want to pronounce that, I, I always hear it ten different ways. Um, right. But these 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 ways that they use to seek God's will is what at is at uh, is in focus here. But I, I guess even beyond whether it's the Ark itself or whether it's the Ephod or whether it's both. Um, it says Saul was talking to the priest and the tumult, tumult in the camp increased more and more. So he says, withdraw your hand. It, it, it's That's the literal translation. It's basically stop inquiring of God with regard to the battle. Uh, quit seeking God's counsel, I think, is what that is supposed to mean. Uh, why does Saul do that? I mean, I know, it sh I know if, if that's exactly how it is supposed to be read, it demonstrates that that Saul is definitely not not fit for the role that God has given him. Yeah, he's almost like we don't have time for this anymore. Um, yeah, it it is really interesting. It may, I think maybe in the end, maybe you are right that it it clearly could be both because whoever would the priests be, but with the ark, so it could be. Yeah, if you're gonna get the ephah, you're gonna get it from the priests uh, who were, um, and then the priests would be with the ark anyway. So maybe having it at both and is the ultimate answer. Um, but yeah, that, well, just, that, I'll, it, I'll let me interject on that because that makes sense too, because you know, they, we use synecdoche all the time where we refer to, you know, a, a whole with just the part of something. And so, you know, it very well, just by saying the ark, it, it, it kind of means just everything that goes along with that, the high priest, the ark, the ephod, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's like we called our worship spaces the sanctuary, even though the sanctuary is just that little part around the altar. It's not where people sit and stuff, but we call the whole thing the sanctuary sometimes. And it would make more sense then that the Septuagint then would have ephod because then it would make it more clear to a non-Hebrew speaking uh, description what's what's going on here. Um, and I think uh, we just figured gives... it out, right? We should write a book, make a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I'll I'll leave that to you. Oh, okay, um, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll I'll, I'll get you footnote in the me, uh, footnote in the footnote. Um, yeah. Anyway, go but, ahead, bro. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that that Saul would say, you know, stop, stop seeking the Lord in this. Um, it, it's interesting. It kind of interesting that he would one have to when the the Philistines are running away want to stop and seek the Lord when it seems like the Lord's giving you the answer. Um, Jonathan uh, sought the Lord, but in action, and he's kind of seeking the Lord almost in doubt. Like Jonathan sought it in faithfulness and he's seeking it because he doesn't believe it. Um, but then he acts because he kind of notices that it's, it's Jonathan and, you know, we kind of know about Saul and his jealousy. So is Saul a bit 
jealous that his his son and the armor bearer is making the whole <laughs> the whole of the Philistines run away and he's he better get on board here or his son is going to get all the glory the glory that he wanted oh yeah absolutely and i think that's definitely part of Saul's character in terms of the withdrawing your hand i i kind of liked your take on it earlier about you know all right we don't have time for that let's go i think there's a positive spin for that too giving Saul the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps at that point, it's like, okay, it's clear what God's will is on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Don't worry about it. I got it. I I, I get the hint. We're going to win this one. <laughs> Are you always going to win this one for us would be the better way for him to say that, but who knows how he would say that. Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting, but let's, let's read on. Let's finish the rest of our section, which only goes to verse 23, and uh, and we'll see what happens next. Here we go. Now the Hebrews, who had been with the Philistines before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them into the battle. So Yahweh saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Aven. Now, I like this for a couple of reasons. The first of which is one of the things that we, the taunt that you mentioned earlier that the uh, the Philistines said, look, the they're coming out of their holes. Speaking of Jonathan and his armor bearer who had come out of no hole at all, they were just coming in. But that has come to pass because the the the, the Israelites who were in hiding indeed did come out of their holes, so to speak and chased after them. Who doesn't want to be on the winning side? And now that they see that they're, they're winning, they, they join in the battle. Yeah. And I mean, that would just add to the terror, right? You, they're really thinking that the Israelites are weak and full, uh, people to be mocked and, and ridiculed. And here we, they are set, uh, set in, in fleeing, but as they flee, it's, it is like, the earth is spewing out enemies for them. They are, it's like the, the worst ambush ever because, um, or the most uh, violent ambush or the, the most terrifying ambush because they didn't even, they couldn't see or all these people are, they're coming even from the rocks and caves and then within them. And then even within them, uh, they, they are uh, being turned against. So we have here what's going on is that, you know, the Philistines are being attacked. They are absolutely on the losing end of this stick. And I just love how the credit goes to God, though, right? The author of 1 Samuel, he doesn't even give credit to the Israelites who, I mean, I suppose deserve the credit in the sense that they're following after God's will. But I just love that language. Um, Yahweh saved Israel that day. And the battle passed beyond Beth Aven. So um, as we look at the, the what's happening next, right, Saul is going to actually end up making a, what the ESV editors call a rash vow. He's, he's going um, to be overjoyed by this victory, and he's going to basically uh, give in to some other issues. But we, we definitely see how God is winning the day. God is showing that for those who are faithful to him, 
Uh, nothing really is impossible when it follows his will. And, and what an absolute great message. Uh, brother, uh, anything else that you want to uh, to cover before we end the show? Because we're right here in the last few minutes. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things here. Um, one, it, it does seem interesting, verse 21, how uh, now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the, the Israelites. So it's interesting. Now, is I wonder what that is. You know, is that is that mercenaries? It's kind of how the uh, study Bible takes it. Are, are they forced into action? Are they prescribed into it? Um, almost enslaved into that. And now that things are turning, even here, um, the slaves have been set free. The um, the you know the people have been set free. Um, that that definitely fits the narrative of of God's salvation, right? That uh, the enslaved people um, have been set free, and and they have turned against their captors. Um, I I hope that's the case more than more than mercenaries. Uh, maybe that's my my hope more than more than reality. I'm not sure. Uh, but within the greater context of this of this chapter, I've been a little negative towards Saul, but I think you are leading into. Um, that what happens here and how Saul uh, has this foolish vow and and has, uh, I, I, I guess I take the greatest negativity when he says uh, in the next verse, uh, beyond our allotted verses, um, I am avenged uh, until evening and I am avenged on my enemies. So Saul is really making this whole scene and this whole battle about him and Jonathan has made it all about God's deliverance. Um, so I, I think one uh, way of kind of understanding and, and making sure that we see all this is about God and all of it is about trusting it and seeing his actions. One of the greatest questions I think continue to come up, which is about the will of God and seeking his will. And I would say, you know, our our call in the midst of this is to say, thy will be done. And, and one could say, well, how do we know God's will? And, and, and it's really not about trying to understand um, uh, a, a will for which house should I buy or which job should I take, um, but to understand what is the, what is God's will for us and his will for us is for our salvation, which brings about our greater promise, right? Um, his promise is that he is with, with you. Right, so that we don't need to be afraid of uh, I, I chose the, the wrong career or, or the wrong house to buy or things like that where people get nervous, um, but that God promises to abide with, with you, and that in that you know His will is to forgive you and to keep you, um, so that He abides with you, not your job or or not your your house, but He has made His dwelling in you and and with you. And that's his baptismal promise. And we get to see that uh, faithful people like Jonathan live in that, um, uh, work in that, and, and act in that all the days of their life. And may we do the same in our lives. Well, I couldn't um, uh, think of a better way to end the program. Thank you, brother. And I'd like to thank my guest uh, publicly, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Uh, again, thanks for being on the show. I look forward to talking to you again. Well, it's always a lot of fun and a great honor to be on with you.
Thanks, brother. Tomorrow we continue chapter 14 with verses 24 through 46. Um, as you've already heard, Saul makes a rash oath that no one should eat anything until he has avenged himself on his enemies. And Jonathan, who didn't hear the oath, uh, ate, ate some honey. He was refreshed, but then Saul wants to put Jonathan to death for it. What in the world is going on here? Saul's narcissism leads him to even want to kill his own son, who just led the people to victory by faith in God. We'll talk about it tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.